I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. I'm Alex. And we are the Heroes 3 plus Alex. Welcome again to Heroes 3, the bi-weekly podcast where three friends, and sometimes four friends, talk about the best, worst, and everything in between in the world of Asian cinema. And we just finished our monstrous-sized uh, arc done. looking at Godzilla. and It was great, by the way. Oh, well, thank, thank you. you. I, I enjoyed it a ton. And we're going to be started with another kind of more, more classic Heroes 3 arc uh, with our next episode, but we wanted to have a little interlude to kind of get us from from one to the other, and that is this week's episode, which is The Little Prince and the Eight-Headed Dragon from 1963 from Toei Animation. And uh, one, one, I mean, there's a couple of connections to Godzilla, but one of the big ones is the music's by Akira Ifukube. So, uh, Carlos, this is another pick from you. So what's, uh, what's the idea behind it? Um, yeah, so this is a movie that um, I, I really hadn't seen up until the last... Uh, I guess like five years or something like that. Well, maybe even sooner than that. But it was something where I was when we started the podcast. It's a film that I knew about. And it was like, I can't wait to be able to talk about this (laughs) at some point during the podcast. Yeah, because I I knew kind of how it like ties into kind of a lot of the different things that we enjoy. And now that we've covered uh, Godzilla's films, um, well, some of them. I thought, okay, this is our our chance to do it. Um, this is a, a, a very early uh, toy animation feature. I think this is like their fifth or sixth feature film, and uh, it was directed by a man named Hugo Serikawa. That honestly, I don't know too much about. Um, outside of this, I know that he directed some episodes of Mazinger Z, and that actually is related to this because he. Um, he liked the music in this film so much that he used some of the cues in the first episode of Mazinger Z, which is pretty cool. And, That's fun. Um, yeah, but outside of that, um, one, I, I think it's really cool because it ties into like Japanese like creationist like mythology, kind of Shinto yeah, belief yeah. stuff, mm. which is really fun to just kind of dig into. And any kind of mythology really kind of, sparked my brain so it's really fun to see it delivered to us here as like a children's film and um yeah again we have to mention Ifukube's score here where um as we you talk about this and we're gonna play it too pretty light these in between episodes that we're not gonna go through everything but honestly if we did talk about every beat of the film it's pretty simple so and pretty split pretty evenly so um, I think it would make for a quicker episode. But um, hmm. some of the music that you find in this film, this movie's from 1963, and uh, Ifukube would pull music from other features that he's used before. So um, at the end of the film, you'll have a sequence where our hero is fighting the Orochi, which is a headed dragon. And some of the music that you hear there is actually from the Mysterians. <laughs> is kind of fun to oh, think neat. and that was like in 1960 something like that and um but besides that i you'll also hear things from like king ghidra which i mean kind of ties to what we're talking about with the yamata no orochi no 
but um also like this material um it's kind of stuff that like as you as as a video game player there's like ideas oh and God. stuff <laughs> that really gets like pulled from these mythologies so um, he, there's a dark souls fight in this movie <laughs> yeah like it's literally just a dark souls fight yeah yeah and it, yeah it is really cool the, the way this film is structured is really kind of mm-hmm. like this journey of a hero and yeah, uh, you yeah. get to see these very video game like different locales and once you overcome a villain or, a, or an antagonist, you get like a, a weapon. You get a power up and then up, you go to the like, next level. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, like Mega Man or something. But <laughs> it's pretty fun to see stuff like that delivered. And also um, some of the staff in the, on the animation side, pretty notable uh, people yeah. here. So um, Yasuji Mori is the animation director. And he's like this kind of legendary uh, early era Japanese animator. And actually, the the term animation director was first used in this film, which is oh, pretty cool. exciting in Japanese animation. So um, he would go on to mentor like Yasuo Otsuka, who also works on this movie. And we talked a little bit about his work in uh, our Cagliostro episode with Josh, our, yeah, another swim yeah. fan. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know her. Uh, Miyazaki, yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Never heard of him. And and then didn't Takahata work on the film also? Yeah, Isao Takahata is the assistant director for this movie, and I mean, yeah, very wow. notably, a member, founding member of Studio Ghibli. And um, yeah, um, the the other one I wanted to mention is Yoichi Kotabe, who works in. He's a key animator for this film. He designed the the horse that you see at the end of the movie. He would go on yeah, to beautiful. be like the like super mario brothers artists so all the uh, original like artwork that you'd see like in mario 1 mario 2 mario 3 um that rules yeah that's that's all him yeah and actually this new uh, super mario wonder that's going to be coming out pretty soon um it's cool to see that game because it kind of has an influence of like that original artwork with the characters being more expressive and stuff so um, yeah, totally. Yeah, so there's all of this kind of connective DNA. Uh, when you see this film, if you're a fan of the Zelda series, this uh, visual style is very influential to what we would see in The Wind Waker. So that's mm-hmm. that's yeah, a really especially exciting. the protagonist. Like once mm-hmm. once the connection is drawn, it's honestly going to be kind of like magical as as you watch it because mm-hmm. it's like the model is pitch perfect. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, in some ways, and, I and mean, the, and, the other big thing it's an influence on is Samurai Jack. Yep. Yeah, uh, totally. <laughs> it is, and it's like whenever I saw that, I was like, "Oh my god, yeah!" Because yeah. yeah, yeah. like, there's the there's the scene where there's the the fire god is firing these this fire that turns into arrows, and I'm pretty sure that exact thing happens in Samurai mm-hmm. Jack. And there's that, really there's cool. that wonderful shot in the underwater where he's um, like diving um, sword first. Uh, kind of yeah. in this like horizontal shot and that also feels like mm. it was very much honored in that yeah i mean we should say it's like this is just i i think a, just a visually gorgeous piece and i'm so glad <laughs> um that you recommended it carlos because it's yeah i just thought this was a feast and yeah it was so so happy and um and i think like yeah i've admitted or confessed or whatever before that it's like i i have a lot more blind spots when it comes to japanese animation and kind of yeah working <laughs> working through some of that this is this is definitely <laughs> the oldest uh the oldest film that i've been exposed to and mm. it was really exciting kind of seeing how at least in this period it's 
we're much more in lockstep with a lot of the traditions of, you know, like Disney and Warner's. Mm. Um, there's like, I don't know, there's, there's just more sort of like squash and stretch and like animating on ones and stuff than then you, you, you'll kind of see, you know, even a couple of decades later in kind of like the Japanese tradition. And the other thing I thought was really interesting is just the overall look reminded me a lot of a lot of the great uh, Disney concept artists, actually. Um, mm-hmm. If you ever see the work of like uh, Mary Blair or uh, Ivan Earl, who did a lot of great concepts for Sleeping Beauty, which... Yeah, um, some beautiful Like when work. you look at some of those, it's almost like this film like brought some of that like modernist sensibility to life and it's just beautiful and like the color harmony of this movie is just like mm. yeah i don't know just play it on a loop like i yeah all day. <laughs> i definitely say that sleeping beauty was an influence on this film especially when you see what the orochi the 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 dragon at the end of oh, this film yeah. looks like yeah and yeah. the the environment that this battle is taking place in i was gonna say the, like the mountains and the trees and stuff yeah. are very angular and like, the thorny like, like yeah, yeah vines thorny. and stuff Look, you'll poke your finger if you touch your TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these these were intentional uh, design choices. The way this film looks, the uh, the art director is uh, a person named Reiji Koyama, and there's an interview with Yoichi Kotabe, and um, they said that form was like the directive, form rather than mass here. So you're seeing characters oh, that. that are really kind of these kind of geometric shapes, very limited in detail but very emotive and very kind of flowing in, in how they handle the movement. Um, they also were told to kind of, it's it's like a, it was like a directive to kind of re- reflect on like, what is it like a uh, limited movement? That was kind of a trend at the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, the uh, Sadao Sukioka, who is one of the key animators that handled the Orochi battle, he said, yeah, he said that this was, Toy's attempt at a more limited animation style and along with that there was a more direct dialogue with the animators and the director and it basically solidified a creative model moving forward in Toy and and throughout Japanese animation so it's it's pretty cool to see that on the screen and I, I like you said Marty the, the color choices in this film are are really great and um I shared kind of an older copy of the film with you in 2020 there was a blu-ray release of this and it's it looks awesome it was only released in Japan um but as far as over here in the west it was originally released like around the time that it came out and it was dubbed into English and it actually is pretty uh faithful yeah actually the, the English yeah. dub is on YouTube um, yeah yeah it is pretty decent See, it's available transfer. in full Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a pretty good dub, like especially given that it's from the mid '60s. Like, it's not too bad, except for the rabbit. The rabbit's voice <laughs> yeah. kind of sucks because oh. <laughs> it's kind of just it's kind of just Mickey Mouse. Yeah, I uh, did. Uh, I did get a Mickey Mouse vibe from it. As far as like uh, physical media uh, release in the West, there was this uh, Mill Creek released like a DVD set. It's like a two disc set that's called like pop culture bento box it's got a bunch of random japanese stuff on it like mothra's on it and it's whatever they have rights to <laughs> yeah right, right that's mill creek for you yes that's, that's the, <laughs> yeah, only... the kids they like japan yeah the only like official release for it in the west was on this dvd and it's super weird so the original print run of this dvd i I have it it lists it on the features but it's not on the disc so you'd actually have to like mail out to mill creek and they would mail you a replacement disc with the movie on it (laughs) 
so I have the replacement disc too. And it's funny too Ugh. because like the copy of the English version that you guys are talking about on YouTube, that mm-hmm. the quality of that is way better than what's on that DVD. Because <laughs> it's like this scrunched pan and scan, like no subtitles, uh, gotcha. English only a release of it. But I mean. Uh, here we are. Hopefully, something like uh, Discotech or somebody will grab yeah. this up because they're actually just about to release uh, Toys Puss in Boots, which is like right a little after this, but like such an iconic film for that company. Mm-hmm. It was so iconic that it is the icon it's their mascot, for the company. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so hopefully that means that there's some type of discussions going on with uh, some of this classic stuff. But um, yeah, we should we should talk about the movie a little bit. So um, I mentioned that it's based in like Shinto Japanese like creationist stuff, and um, it kind of rushes you through the beginning of that and uh, lands you on Susano. So uh, he is the son and a god of. Uh, Izanami and Izanagi, who are like the the creator gods, basically, they're also like an Adam and Eve kind of situation, and it's it's really fun to dig into all of this stuff because um, one, it's like you know, there's so many different characters and gods, and they all have these weird stories and they have these weird interactions with each other, but also there's like a there's almost like a dueling history because there's two like japanese like written historical documents one is called the kojiki and one is called the nihon shoki and um they're kind of saying the same stories but in different ways it's like this weird i don't know it's like i guess it's like a comic book compared to like a movie (laughs) version of something you know where well um, i mean it's i mean to it's kind of like this is this is growing up in church matthew it's kind of like the the gospels almost where like they're all kind of telling the same story but in different things some mm, right. use the same story yeah. some approach stories differently and only one like has that, a dragon so. and stuff <laughs> yeah that's true yeah there's more dragons in the bible than you would expect I know. <laughs> nice uh, but... <laughs> they didn't teach me that part yeah they yeah they didn't, they didn't the get the cool stuff, stuff. yeah yeah um, but yeah, no, I, I looked a little bit cause I, I'm, I love studying mythologies from different cultures and it's fascinating to me to see it. Um, and especially when you see it interpreted because, uh, Susano is fascinating cause he's usually, he's kind of a shit. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's kind of, he's like the he's bad, kind of bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but sometimes he's like heroic but misguided and that's kind of what they have in this movie and sometimes he's just kind of an asshole um and sometimes it'll be one story right to the next where he's heroic and where he's a jerk uh but um but it's cool to see uh, because i thought i was going to have more time to watch the movie last week but i didn't but i did have a lot of time to study up on like the mythology stuff so I read oh, cool. up on a bunch of the stuff and then watched the movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, hey, that's that thing. That's, you know, that's Orochi. That's the Amaterasu and the, you know. You wanted to read mess, the book messing first. Up. Yeah, I read the book <laughs> first because I'm a cool guy. No, I, I read Wikipedia and various mythology sites. Yeah, like <laughs> just, how cr- just how crossed were your arms like as you watched? <laughs> no, it, and, that's, and that's the beauty of mythology is that it, it evolves and changes over time and how we interpret it changes. And even at the time, there will be different interpretations of the same stories and stuff. 
And there's a lot of like politics that we probably will never completely know what it means because it's like, oh, well, Susano in this one is heroic and this one he's not. Mm. So why is that? And it might have genuinely been like some political faction had a right. different thing they wanted to push with the story than others. And it's it's crazy. It's fascinating. It stuff. is. And it is something like you're saying where it's like one foot in mythology, but one foot also in history. Because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, with the two separate documents, you can see, like, who was telling the story and who wanted to place which characters and what roles and uh, the the lands that they are in and how it affects the lands and how it affects, like, the generations down. It's, yeah, it is really cool to think about all that stuff. And the other thing that I would say that would lead us into where the story goes is that these these are gods, but at the same time, these gods kind of are human in a way where they can die and they can um you know do these like celestial things but also at the same time they're at the mercy of what the fears of every normal person would have like at the time so in right. this uh movie the the basically impetus to this story is that susano is uh living amongst the animals and amongst his family and um uh, what happens is that Izanami, his mother, passes away. So um, this sadness of losing his mother drives him to want to get her back. And Izanagi, his father, forbids it. But he, being the brash, young, kind of Susano, kind of one foot in the kind of troublemaker, he says, no, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go and, and find her. So he leaves his home and makes his way out to uh, first like kind of meet other family members and then try to get to the land where his mother is and it takes him all over the place and you get to see his um his family Sukiyomi is like the the moon and Amaterasu is the sun and these are gods that people like you know Japanese people would understand the relations here but they I do feel like they explain them in a in a in a good way in this movie so yeah, that yeah. if you don't really know all this stuff you still understand what's happening and you yeah. kind of pull through and i noticed that when um whenever they refer to like like basically what is heaven you know they don't call it that they always say like the like a beautiful country that's perfect yeah. Um, and you were talking about like a political interpretation of these stories and eventually at the uh, not to jump ahead but like eventually it's revealed to be like no i just meant japan in general like how beautiful yeah, it is yeah, right. um yeah and is did did you guys pick up kind of like a nationalist streak kind of a little nationalist oh, yeah. at the beginning yeah, too yeah, it's like sure. and then god yeah, made the creation japan. of the world <laughs> god created the <laughs> whole <it> world <laughs> literally just, just japan, japan. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's totally that and um this that some of the stuff that happens in here is touched on in some other materials too. So in um, uh, right around this time, there's a film called the three treasures. And um, I watched that in preparation for this. And it's like this kind of, I mean, I guess it's like a biblical epic, like something like the 10 commandments, but it's the story of Yamato Takeru, who is like Japan hero. And it's about his, origins but it also touched on the the three like 
legendary treasures of Japan. And you see those represented in this film, but they're not um, like emphasized in the way that you would see it in something else. So there's a sword that uh, Susano retrieves after killing Orochi. And that sword is called the Kusanagi. It's it's also called the Aminomurakumo. Ame no so it's a legendary sword. Then there's a legendary mirror. And that's the mirror that Amaterasu is goaded out of the cave with. And you see that in, a, in an iconic bit in this film. And um, there's and that's also... That's what you used to go between the dark world and the light world. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. I was so internet-brained, it took me like a minute to realize like goaded was a word before goaded. Like, <laughs> 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 that like nice. Merriam-Webster knew what that was. That's <laughs> so funny. Ugh. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. No, it's okay, Marty. <laughs> We've all been there. Um. Yeah, so the, the other one is the Magatama. So it's an image that you would see a lot in um yes different japanese everywhere yeah it basically looks like kind of a comma shaped jewel um so those three treasures are actually like supposedly like actual items that the imperial family has possessed like for Mm -hmm. forever and um and they just so happen to be descended from the gods yeah (laughs) so that's the other thing too we were talking about politics so a lot of the imperial family going back in history they said they were directly related to Amaterasu and that kind of gave them this godlike dominion over the country. So um, yeah, these politics and this religion are really hand in hand here. But um, yeah, you see these represented in the movie. Um, so first uh, Susano, and he's, as he's making his way, he, he fights this kind of big old fish and some beautiful animation in the ocean mm-hmm. and uh, that leads him to the land of the night the uh, yoru no kuni and that is the land where sukuyomi resides and they represent sukuyomi in this film really cool it's like a ice yeah. region and yeah um, it's like crystals and ice everywhere and ever and i love that they they almost have like a they almost look like they're from a different anime mm. from the sixties. Yeah. Like they, they, they yeah, almost look call. more like, um, um, like a, I don't know, like a cyborg zero zero nine or something. Yeah. Like it's a very like angular have, look to them too. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way that they look and there's a bunch of, it's, it's the classic serious King guy with all the goofball guards, you know, mm-hmm. it's fun stuff. And I love I love the huge contrast of that location as well. Like the um, yeah, because everything else this is so round in this movie. Like, mm. and and we get sharp for a while, and um, mm-hmm. it's a good texture. And the other thing that I would say too is that Ifukube not only is Ifukube making pieces of music for this, but he's literally scoring the animation. So yeah. a lot of the action is like these musical cues. Um even when Sukiyomi first appears, he appears in like pieces and you hear like a melody play as each piece yeah, is revealed. Dude, yeah. Kind of Mickey Mouse's in a beautiful mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. I, I loved Honestly, I I mean we've we've said this a handful of times, but like this is like probably one of my favorite Ifukube scores. Like Kong 
versus Godzilla and this one are pretty close and and my And there's taste. good surviving materials right there like full like mm-hmm. complete releases of the score and everything. Yep, and there's also yeah, I think there's a release of the score that has like alternate takes too which I haven't yeah, listened, I listened to listened and to some of that. that's really exciting to to see. Yeah, so he he ends up going down and it, it's it's this kind of thing where He's looking for the information to find his mother, but it ends up turning into a conflict because of different reasons. And in uh, the original uh, Chronicles, it's it's like Matthew saying, like Susano is just kind of like wrecking the place. The the idea here with Sukiyomi isn't as um, uh, notable because uh, Sukiyomi actually in the in the text isn't as much of a prominent figure. What what I would say is that, yeah, we're seeing the, the sun and the moon represented here. And this, there's a story that uh, Amaterasu sends Sukuyomi down to Earth and um, he's to meet uh, with a, a guest. But this guest, this god, um, produces food from like her mouth. And like it's like this kind of godly kind of um, bounty yeah, it's thing. Like odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I... Sukuyomi misinterprets this and is in, he's in disgust he ends up ki- killing this this god and once Amaterasu finds out she's so appalled that she banishes Sukuyomi from her sight so that's like kind of a reasoning why the moon and the sun are separated from each other um they don't represent that in here at all but i thought it was interesting so they're kind of playing around with Sukiyomi in their own way with this movie um the more notable stories come from susano's interactions with uh, amaterasu so um before that we get a really fun little sequence too that uh, you mentioned earlier with the the fire god so there's this yeah that's one of my that's one of my favorite sequences in the movie Like the whole time that was going, because the fire people are so fluid, right? And it's this beautiful. It's like a, it's like shot in scope as well. So it's like this beautiful yeah. widescreen image. And um, like I knew that this came out in 1963, which is around the same time. It might actually be the same year that like Astro Boy and Gigantor came out. Mm. And it's <laughs> like it's such like if you've seen those, they're just like the choppiest. Like because it's TV animation compared to like this lavish <laughs> theatrical animation. But I was I was expecting much closer to to like Gigantor and Astro Boy. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, uh, and the, once those, and you, I mean before that, it's beautiful as well. But like once those fire guys came in, and they just never stop moving, and it's so fluid. I was just like, oh my god! Like my whole like like conception of what Japanese animation was like in the yeah. early sixties was completely destroyed, you know? Like, dude, <laughs> dude, totally. And yeah, it seems like, uh, just, uh, reading up on kind of like the lore around the film that it was this hugely influ- influential piece. Um, but I don't know. I'm kind of curious, like what the universe looks like where, I don't know, this had more of like a direct influence, like technically on where, Mm. um anime mm-hmm. would go because uh and anyways it's stunning and I, I would uh special highlight to just like all the effects animation and it's definitely on display and like the fire sequence but also with like all the water um like you're saying alex it's just like so fluid mm-hmm. everything's animated on ones and there's just crazy amounts of like detail and every little like particleized element or whatever um yeah, I don't know. It's it's like it's just like a lavish production, mm. and and just motion, just smooth yeah, motion. Yeah, it's totally. just it's it's all over those parts of the movie. And 
I I love Gigantor. There's no motion <laughs> yeah. in it. It's it's so <laughs> static. Everything is just so yeah. blocky and 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 um limited. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. The the battle with the uh, fire god is yeah, it is definitely one of the highlights of the film. And yeah, it, every it's not just yeah, his form, but his, the aura, the flaming aura. So um, yeah, it's just every, constant. Yeah, every time he moves, it follows him. But it's not like this simple kind of almost like an afterimage idea. It it looks like it has a life of its own. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, when Susano ends up attacking him, he'll split him in half. And um, as he splits, he turns into more and more of the fire god. And it turns into this yeah, I mean, like a boss fight that is, situation. I was gonna say, I think that literally is a boss fight in Mega Man. <laughs> yeah, it, you. So you understand that the more you do it, the more there are. So it's this really yeah. kind of fun thing. But um, I love, I love the little tiny fire god that's fighting the rabbit. <laughs> oh yeah, so adorable. <laughs> that's but, um, that's really cute. And that yeah. turns out to be important too because uh, when they left Sukuyomi. Um, Susano kind of stormed out and actually there's a really fun little bit there where he walks through a doorway without like flinching and it's made of ice so it just shatters around him but um Sukiyomi leaves Akahana that that rabbit with this ice ball and that's like the key to defeating the fire god so the ice ball is I mean kind of like a I don't know limitless like ice so it can totally like destroy any fire it touches and they use that as like an upgrade for his sword <laughs> and then he's yeah. able to uh trap the the fire god and um yeah with that the reward that he gets is that he gets like a heavenly bird uh, basically i sorry i was thinking i think in my notes i said made a joke i did yeah it fuses the sword to make it do bonus damage to fire types <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep definitely and they use that heavenly bird to yeah, travel yeah, up to Takamagahara, which is like the high, the the upper like heaven, and that's yeah. where Amaterasu lives. So that takes you to the next chapter. And yeah, yeah. this is, is it's like straight up like video game journey stuff. I, I honestly, it would be amazing if there was like some type of video game adaption for this. Not, I mean, I guess we we have Okami, which kind of touches on a lot of these ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's not the same as like Susano's journey here. So confession time. I tried to play Okami. I tried to get into it. <laughs> Everyone said, oh, it's like Zelda. And I just, I couldn't do it. I put in like five hours. Yeah. And I was like, I, I don't think I like this. It's, there's a slow no, start that's, to that's, it. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, Never played and, it. and the thing is, I I am sure someone will look you dead in the face and say, you got to play it for 10 hours. Yeah, and then it's really amazing. Yep. <laughs> and I can't say I've never played games that are like that, but I just there's so many other good things that I can get in under an hour oh, yeah. and enjoy. You know, that's that a whole played. other conversation. I mean, that's a different conversation. Video games have a lot of growing to do yet. <laughs> yeah, but that's they'll a different never podcast do it in this podcast. No, they'll <laughs> they'll, they'll never. Oh, man, I'm with Alex. Yeah. You're 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 in the wrong art form. Yeah, right. sorry. <laughs> it's it's a whole thing. Yep. I mean, even labeling uh, it art form is kind of touchy. They can't do it. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. They that's, would have done that's, it that's, by that's... now. <laughs> <laughs> the, that's that's going to be in Alex's video game podcast. Video games are bad. They suck. <laughs> Fuck <Yeah>. video games. <laughs> Uh, but um but yeah this this next section where they go up to um to to visit Amaterasu that has there's a lot of stuff in the in the mythos about that cuz this interaction 
has like a couple of points that are consistent throughout different versions and then about a dozen variations within it. Which the, the way that it starts, though, is that Susano and Amaterasu have like a contest to, to prove that Susano is uh, is genuine, is like sincere about um, saying goodbye to his sister because right. his sister doesn't trust him. Um, so in the myth, they uh, each pick like a possession of the others and chew it up and spit out a new creation. You know, classic mythology, weird stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in um, the main version of it, Amaterasu spits out three goddesses after taking Susano's sword. And Susano takes um, those the, the beads, the Magatama beads, chews them up and spits out five gods. But then Amaterasu says that the basically that the that the five gods are actually hers because it was her possession and kind of pulls the rug out from under him. Yeah, and, he gets and in response to that, he gets pissed, and that's why he wrecks up her her home and everything. Yeah, and that's whenever she gets um she gets sad and and mad and hides away in the sun. And yeah, the light disappears from the land. This movie smooths out a lot of those ideas, <laughs> and I mean they they want to position Susano as like kind of your hero, and yeah. um yeah yeah so so they yeah they they don't like one of the things I remember is like Susano like straight up like poops in one of her buildings. Yeah, he poops <laughs> in one of the buildings and takes one of her horses, flays it, and throws it into a loom and kills one of her people. <laughs> yeah. And it is similar to the film, though, where uh, Su- uh, Amaterasu is very forgiving of Susano. She she gives him a lot of credit. And um, yeah. w- the ideas that it lands on here is that she knows that he is good at, at, mm-hmm. in, in his heart, but he just maybe doesn't know any better. But yeah, in the original stories, he, he's wild. He, he He's pretty crazy. And yeah, like Matthew says, there's so many different versions too. When Susano originally shows up to Takamagahara in the, the original uh, stories, uh, Amaterasu is expecting a battle because she doesn't understand that he's coming up for a certain reason. She thinks that he's trying to take over. So it turns into this whole thing. And um, But yeah, so what happens here is... Uh, he keeps causing problems and then all the people in the the land are saying like hey this kid's like a problem like it's getting crazy so it ends up turning into like this brawl and honestly when i when i look at it um i mean it's animated but it kind of reminds me of bruce lee and fist of fury fighting all the japanese oh china <laughs> yeah and uh yeah amaterasu isn't nobody's listening to her so she shuts them all up by hiding herself into this cave and then uh the people of the land are worried that demons will start to show up without the sun around and they make this plan to kind of lure her out by Mm. um having basically a party outside of the cave and um here we see this wonderful animated sequence this sequence is incredible yeah this this total dance sequence it's so good yeah the the ideas behind it are great and the way they execute it are even better so we're talking about these like simple formed characters and some of the characters you see almost look like kind of abstract geometric shapes like you've got um the dancer uh her her name is ameno uzume and um she looks like she's got this like almost weird hourglass shape and the way she's dancing is very exaggerated. And then she has these like backup dancers that look like 
they're cubes almost but they're <laughs> awesome too i love how they look and the way they handle the movement there it's like they're in unison but they're just a little off yeah. from each other so it gives it that much more character um the the this sequence was animated by uh, Makoto Nagasawa, and there's a really great article about the process that they went through to do this, and uh, we'll link it to the episode, but it's a, a substack called Animation Obsessive, and that's a Twitter account I've been following for years, and um, they they really peel the layers away to show you how much work really went into this, because um, they were doing something similar to like a Disney situation where they were referencing like real dancers to do it but it wasn't a rotoscope situation obviously we see we see how abstract it looks here but um it they had to figure all this out this wasn't something that they had done before so it was a huge struggle and Isao Takahata was a big part of this sequence as well and um uh, the results you can see on screen it's it's really kind of the standout um, besides uh, the the fire god and besides the Orochi at the end, this is like yeah. pretty much the crowning piece of this film. Yeah, it's it's incredible, um, and it's it is. If you watch nothing else, I would say to watch to watch this and probably the fire god fight. Yeah. You don't watch nothing else. Yeah, it's really um, it gets really Fantasia with it too. So it you does. could, could kind of just totally. take that out and just engage with that by itself and have a good time. So the yeah, weirdly the- specific animation pull for me is in the one part where it's like all of these like kind of looks like snowflake things kind yeah, of flying towards yeah. the screen. It looks like the beginning of the Rankin Bass Frosty the Snowman <laughs> special. Oh, <laughs> it totally does. Um, which which was which was animated by Mushi Pro, a Japanese thing that they a Japanese company they contracted out to. Um, so oh. there's. There's a little oh, bit of animation. That's, that's 69. There. So that's yeah, uh, yeah. So it's a, there's yeah. a there is a chance that people that worked on this worked on Frosty the Snowman. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, Mushi Pro is Osamu Tezuka's production company. So yeah, that's pretty yeah. notable too. Yeah, they're probably cranking out awesome. Astro Boy too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, Swapping the that's I'm probably not gonna have anywhere else to talk about this, but um, I, I recently watched the Rankin Bass Hobbit movie from the 70s. The greatest adventure. What lies ahead today and tomorrow are yet to be said. Um, and it's funny watching that being like, oh, like almost everyone that worked at Studio Ghibli in the eighties worked on this movie. <laughs> um, and you can and you can definitely see it too. Um, that movie's really fun though. It's like seventy five minutes, so it's automatically better than the uh, Peter Jackson Hobbit movies. <laughs> nice. So. Yeah, and I mean, I should say too, this film is, I guess, it's like an hour and a half. Uh, it moves pretty quick too. I I, I like yeah, the pace of this movie. Ooh, it is easy breezy. I yeah. loved it. Mm-hmm. I slid across this 80 minute runtime. <laughs> oh, dude, nice. Yep. So the uh, the whole idea after this dance is that they're luring her out, and they do. And like I said, they use this mirror to to bring her out. And um, uh, once she's released, she talks to Amaterasu, and she basically casts him away, but tells him to be a brave hero, and that you know although he's caused trouble, he's good at heart. Yeah, like I said, it, they really smooth out a lot of the. The, the violent tendencies and the kind of conflicts here, but it's nice yeah, to it see poop the, on the floor in this version. Yeah. Uh, there, it's nice to see it delivered in this way. I, I really enjoy the kind of kid friendly delivery. So um, Susano uh, then leaves 
the the land of high heaven um the other thing to note is that the fire country people after their land was ravaged they're looking for a new land and there's a new basically a new party member to his squad called uh titan bowl he's this big oaf lovable guy and he carries on through the rest of the film but his people find a land with amaterasu in the the land of high heaven so that's really nice too so in the next area they meet uh, this this young girl does the young girl have a name? Yeah, this is Kushinada Hime. They they mentioned Kushinada okay. in the, the thing. The other thing I wanted to mention too is if you look into these characters, like we're saying just their basic names, but they all have like these crazy long ass yeah. names. So I <laughs> yeah. I made a point to write hers down because it's crazy long. It's yeah Kushinada Mitoyoma. Hold on, all right, Kushinada. Mitoyo Manura Hime no Mikoto. And that basically is like an interpretation of Wondrous Princess of the Rice Fields. But like Susano and Amaterasu, they all have like these long extended names too. Mm-hmm. Um, it does remind me of like samurai stuff. It all, honestly, when I hear these names, I picture the, I, I can hear like the samurai showdown, like ring announcer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In that game, they'd always have these, like, you know, long names, and it just sounds like that in my head. But, um, he he meets her. and, um, yeah, he meets he meets her and they find out that the this town is being plagued by the by the the dragon from the title uh um Orochi and and they find out that they've been that basically girls have been getting taken and killed by it and the river runs red whenever you know that the dragon's going to be coming back soon right um and our uh our young heroine Kushinada is the next up and that that's pretty much what happens in the myth as well. She's the youngest of eight daughters, and all seven of her sisters have been eaten by the dragon. Um, and now Susano has to fight him. Yeah, there there is a, a significant difference, though, in the story when he goes to fight the Orochi. Yes. He turns her into a comb, and yeah. it's like a form of yeah. protection. And um, that that doesn't happen here in the um, the three treasures. They they do show that happen. And it's pretty cool. Actually, yeah. Three treasures is uh, it's long. It's like three hours long. But Ooh. like I said, like Ten Commandments like that. Uh, yeah, I got Cecil B. DeMille is like over three hours long. I remember that being like a weekly like event, like around Easter time. They would show it on TV. But Toshino Mifune is the star. He plays Yamato Takeru in that. And he also plays Susano in that film. And um, it's got like every Toho actor in it. Uh, Akira Takarada's in it. Um, Akihiko Hirata's in it. Uh, to- uh, Takashi Shimura's in it. Um, it's, it's, I mean, like with our Godzilla films, it's pretty fun to see those actors in different roles. And, um, I would say if you really want to watch it, go for it. <laughs> but like I said, it's long. <laughs> it's kind of like, a, I don't know. I guess it's, I would say just watch this movie because it handles all this stuff way better. So now their big plan to to fight the the dragon is that they're going to get it drunk. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they prepare a 
big jars of sake for it, for it to drink, to, to weaken it. And in the myth, they do the same thing, but it kind of, it kind of seems in the myth that they, he just kind of gets drunk and Susano just kind of kills it. Yeah, just <laughs> like chops him up. Just kind of chops him up and it's a little more uh, anticlimactic. But then he has to, gets to get this flying horse so they can fight the dragon, have a extended sequence and everything. So. I, I love that horse. It looks so cute. Um, what's it called? Ame no Hayakoma is, is one of the names that you see for it. And, and like I said, it's, it's designed in this film by Yoichi Kotabe. Um, and he handled a lot of the animations for the horse too. And they really get their mileage with Susano flying around on that horse. It's, you can see it from every angle. Like if you took it and just taken stills, you, you could make, like make a 3D, 3D image out of it yeah. with how many oh, different awesome. angles they show it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the Orochi arrives and consumes this sake and then a huge battle ensues. And it's, I mean, I don't know. It's like maybe like five or seven minute sequence yeah. of uh, this long battle. And there are moments where you could be like, all right, I would tighten it up. But I just think from an <laughs> yep. art standpoint, it just looks so cool to me that I just love to see all of it. Mm-hmm. And um, well, especially, I don't know, just like the the quality of like, that every department's turning out. It's like, mm. it just never sags. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still just kind of can't get over this movie. Um, each, also, each head uh, of the dragon gets its own death, you know? Yeah. So there's no like repeat things. Yeah. And they have their own unique color too, mm-hmm. or color combination. Um, uh, yeah, but so uh, they don't uh, do the kind of finale that, that I mentioned earlier, where Susano at his victory, he said so they represented in a different way. So um, what happens in the original story is after Susano chops up the Orochi, he strikes the tail and his tail. When he strikes the tail, he receives like resistance on his sword and his sword chips. But what he realizes is that there's a holy sword in the Orochi that he pulls out. And that's the uh, the Kusanagi blade. And um, the the way they do it here is like he's he's fighting one of the it's the final head i believe and he's fighting it and his sword snaps and then the magatama jewel that he was given at the beginning of the film from his mother it turns into a sword so that's kind of like them representing the kusanagi which oh yeah the name was ame no murakumo so it's the 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 name translates to the heavenly sword of gathering clouds which is such a dope <laughs> name for a sword <laughs> That's like so cool to me. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then he's able. It's very, to... It's very obviously it's different country, but it's very wuja. Yeah. yeah. Like the oh, swords totally. with the long names. Well, I w- yeah. I would relate that too because actually, like the the first toy feature, um, was the uh, white snake enchantress, which was a Chinese tale, and um, just slightly before this, also I believe in 1960. There was the uh, Sayuki, which was the Journey to the West, and that was a, another big feature for Toei at the time. And um, that one, I watched it, and it, it it's more of a direct kind of riff on Disney, where they're throwing in songs and the characters are <laughs> singing to each other and stuff. And it, it's cute. It didn't really, it didn't really land with me the way that this film does. I think mm-hmm. they handle the songs better too here, where it's like, I think both songs are basically either. It was, yeah, and they're uh, much more sort of classical. Like, yes, like a fairy tale and... kind of situation yeah. where it's Izanami really singing to her son or they're 
there's like a choir singing to you, telling you what's happening. And that's, you talk about Journey to the West. I definitely felt, I don't know, it it just made me think of Havoc in Heaven a lot Mm. throughout this too, because both are, you know, both are Asian animation talking about, you know, myths from their respective countries. Right, Um, Right. And... And both are incredibly good animation that made, like you were saying, Marty, made me rethink animation mm, uh, coming right. out of these places at the time. Yeah, which, no, that's that's a that's a, that's an old episode now, but that's still that's still such a cool movie and a big recommend for anyone yeah, that hasn't for checked sure. it out. Just so unique. I think since we've done that, there has been a newer release of it, but uh, still, I want to say there was it was like it was like a few months after we talked about it. Or so yeah. It was like weirdly soon after. <laughs> Hopefully that's the same with this one. Um, but, yeah, maybe. But I yeah, really, we'll I really like what Alex was saying earlier about uh, like realizing that the quality of the animation. It's like you, you, when you're a kid or you're watching stuff or as you're growing up, you kind of make up these rules in your head where it's like, oh yeah, this is how this looks or this is like Japanese style. But when you see something like this, it kind of pulls you out of that and it kind of yeah. makes you realize like it's like no, these are like stylistic choices that can really inform like an overall sense of something and um, yeah totally yeah i'm kind of it's this is like a horrible comparison i don't know why this is popping up but um like just thinking of like american like social cultural trends i think it's really easy for people to just view uh even something like i don't know like uh gender roles and like feminism in kind of this linear way and i know a lot of people get thrown when they watch like pre-war like american films oh, like and pre-code see, oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah yeah and just see like these like incredible like female characters and incredible actresses with all kinds of like i don't know just like autonomy and strength and agency and it's like it's like yeah actually like pre-betty crocker and june cleaver yeah. it's like yeah actually and like we were depicting a very different thing and mm-hmm. yep. um so i yeah i don't know it's like i think it's it's always good for us to be reminded that it's like the progression of art is, is almost never linear. It's like, Mm -hmm. that's kind of like this weird um, fallacy. People have always been people like a person from a hundred years ago really isn't that much different from the person today. It's just our, our cultural context and, and what's recorded from, you know, 1923 is going to be pretty different from how people actually lived and how they actually lived is going to be weirdly similar to how we live today. Yeah, no, no great you know? point. Does anybody know kind of like uh, more about the story of like, even let's say just like this kind of fluid animating on ones, like, uh, I mean, cause just from like the outside and not being like a, like a major like historian of Japanese animation, it just, it appears like it just fell off a cliff and died, but mm. like, well, does um, anybody know like what, like what I can, like, is there more of a story there? I, I don't know too much about it, but what I can say, and this is referencing that blog post that I mentioned earlier is that they did take in account like animating on certain frames for certain sequences, specifically that, that dance sequence, they, they made a choice to animate on certain frames to adjust how everything was perceived. And so, I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know like where that idea has gone from here. We're talking about a long time ago. Right. (laughs) But, um, it is, I mean, there are plenty of people out there like this animation obsessive and, um, like Katsuka, these sites that are focused on animators, 
um, almost over the animation themselves and um, kind of the the idea behind of all of that. And I, I eat that up. I, I do just like with what we did with Godzilla. I do see myself like, I mean, maybe a summer just super diving into all of that because it's always something that I've been into, but I've just never mm-hmm. taken the time to study all that mm-hmm. academically. And honestly, like personally, when 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 I've done art and stuff, as far as animating goes, I'm super rookie. Like I've done some very basic stuff, but I would love to kind of dig into that to get a more more of an understanding of of animation because I've been such a huge fan of animation all my life. And I mean, right, right. it's it's influenced me personally, but um, I've never taken the time to really stick it to animation myself. So I don't know, That's... maybe I could find the answer for you later <laughs> yeah. no it's just it's just so fascinating yeah. yeah that's why i loved gigantor when i was a kid yeah. was because i could watch <laughs> it and and i went like i could fucking make that <laughs> yeah perfect. i love oh, that's that awesome but i mean i there, also would you say know there that... is that's a that's a tangent but i think there is a lot of value in watching something where you're like i could do that oh it's aspirational and, completely oh, totally. it's super yeah, aspirational totally. that's yeah, you, you, that's why i i'm a i'm a firm believer in watching like every now and then watching movies that aren't very good because you can see all the seams and think, oh, I know what I could do better if I was making that. You know? Well, it's not just that. It's that, oh, there's no rules to this. Like, like yeah. you, you watch a movie break the rules that you're familiar with in the Hollywood convention mm-hmm. and it instills right, in your mind right. that, like, there aren't rules. Like, you can make whatever yeah. you want. You know, yeah. like, you can make... Dude, a, totally. Like, like um, uh, uh, just... This, the bleakest shot on video slasher film you want to and you're every bit as valid as an art as like an artist yeah yeah in in reality you know like like that's that's why you should seek out stuff like older animation and like you know trash because trash rocks man yeah it's great it's great (laughs) okay we did it guys (laughs) that's it episode done bye um (laughs) I'd like to pick Alex's brain more about it too, because yeah, of course, I mean, I, yes, I know um, what you thought. You you probably I I mean I actually don't know if you were aware of this film beforehand. So, um, I, how do you feel about all of this? Like, what? How did it resonate with you, Alex? I I really liked it. I had not heard of it before you pitched me mm. this, but but upon watching it or you know getting you know five minutes into it, I was like, oh, this is the foundation for you know the next. 40 years of animation in some levels, you know, because we think, because I, I, in my head, I didn't really think anime got this fluid until like the mid to late seventies. Um, and, and to see this almost like out of time or something was, was really kind of magical. And then also watching its influence on all of that, like, Genny Tartakovsky, Craig McCracken, mm. uh, Cartoon Network studio stuff that was coming out in yeah. the 90s too. It was like seeing like like just it it just felt like revelatory in that like oh they're all they're all taking this. Um right. And and even in like I even saw like bits of like phase 1 gorillas music videos in this oh. too. Like the way <laughs> sure. that some of the oh, arms gosh, connect totally. into the body like reminds me of how like Jamie Hewlett draws uh Del the Funky Homo sapien. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Yes, yeah. 100%. Like uh, it's like a big hump. Oh yeah. dude, what yeah, if yeah. what if you put 
Dell's character in the movie. Oh. It, it w- he wouldn't stick out. <laughs> he really wouldn't he stick wouldn't. out almost at all. I mean, he's Finally, dressed like a like let a him early... out of his cage. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, um, man, that's that's gonna be the episode art. <laughs> <laughs> he would kind oh, of stick God. out because he's dressed like an early two thousands rap artist. But like in in yeah. terms of like visual, like flat, like that hyper flat mm. style, like. Mm. It, yeah he'd yeah. blend in so that's uh, dude, mostly that's what awesome. i got out of this was like historical perspective like of, of of interacting with the things that i have interacted with this is like um uh digging up like like it sounds it almost sounds insulting like digging up like a fossil or something mm-hmm. and and learning something new yeah yeah totally and um to me, but it it's, slaps. It's, it's not like moldy, you know. Like it's really yeah. good, and the music's yeah, amazing, really cool and the fossil. animation's awesome. Yeah, I I kind of would compare it to something like the original Godzilla, where it's like you you think you know what it what it's like, but then when you actually see it, you're like, oh wow, it's this actually. And yeah, um, when you but but when you see like the poster for this movie, it it really does draw you in, and uh, I, I think Ooh, yeah. it definitely lives up to the excitement that you would see it like on a movie poster. And I can only imagine what it was like as a kid to watch something like this, how inspiring it could have been. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing too, is that I mentioned all these like OG animators and it's been really fun to me, like with Cagliostro and with this to really dig into a generation back or maybe a generation and a half back of animators in Japan to realize how influential all this stuff was to the stuff that everybody would really uh, get into in like the 80s and the 90s and uh, seeing like, you know, well, we talked about Hideaki Anno in our Shin Godzilla episode a little bit, but this is all stuff that he would have grown up enjoying or, you know, even as a little, little kid maybe. But um, these those are the things that I really get excitement about uh, when we talk about stuff like this. And yeah, the mythology stuff too. I got, I, I was really hyped that Matthew said he was digging into the mythology side because man, <laughs> yeah. I, I love all that stuff. It's mm. It's too fun. And 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 just a personal thing for me, whenever there's an animated film shot in scope, dude, like, yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. <laughs> it just oh, does yeah. something to my mm-hmm. brain that I enjoy. That's why it's so Big sad to cartoon. see that pan and scan version on that DVD. Man, they really need to I come. Know, that's a crime. Yeah, the... but that was also like as a kid growing up with Sleeping Beauty on TV. Oh yeah, it's like yeah, it's yeah. Old. no idea what that movie actually was. Yeah. It's been funny. I've there's a few movies that I had literally didn't watch until somewhat recently that I watched a bunch as a kid. Like I watched The Lion King a couple of years back and I hadn't watched it since and I watched it obsessively as a kid. And you know, I, I always as a kid noticed the pan and scan, but I didn't know what that meant mm, until yeah. I was, sure, you know, in sure. my late 20s. And then whenever I saw it in the full widescreen, I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they just like cut Timon out of the whole movie. They're constantly yeah, just, I know. Like, nudging it. It's really bad stuff. Meerkat erasure. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> letterboxing is a concept that I understood the second it was explained to me. But um, right. I, I just I could never convey what it meant to my parents or my grandparents. Like they never understood <laughs> what it what like like why you would watch something in widescreen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have this funny memory of um, when uh, uh, when Woody Allen's Manhattan came on home video. My parents rented it, and I think the only version of that tape was letterboxed. 
and um, they had never seen that before. And I, I heard about this story like years later, um, but they apparently like called the guy at the video store. Like, <laughs> <after playing> <laughs> they're like, they're like, what's going on with this thing? Oh, that's um, funny. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. I, that's been I've been uh, rewatching some Venture Brothers, and a lot of the early episodes will start letterboxed and then go to the four or three, mm-hmm. and it's really funny seeing that now because now it's letterboxing within my already wide screen, <laughs> yeah. so oh, it's just real small. That's hilarious. Oops, they should remaster <laughs> that so it like shrinks instead of gets it bigger. Just, yeah, it just shrinks then after the intro of the episode. Nice, oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, any other final thoughts? No, just like, it. yeah, thanks so much for recommending the movie, Carlos. Yeah, this is awesome. Um, thank you for um, having me Yeah, on the oh. on the episode. Yeah, of course. Thank you for, thank you for joining us, Alex. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, yeah, we'll start with that. Do you have anything you want to plug, Alex? Uh, yeah, Swim Fans, my um, podcast I'm on every week. Uh, Never heard of it. Yeah, me neither. Um, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. we are starting starting next week um we're (laughs) we're starting our annual swim fans bloodbath where we cover horror films um hell yeah so the episode about the 1983 spanish slasher film pieces should be going up soon cool awesome that's a deranged movie uh oh uh, nice but yeah, swimfanspod.com. Um, yeah, go listen to swim fans. All of these guys have been on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's a su- super fun time. Um, big fan totally. over here, uh, and you guys have been killing it. So thank you guys for your <laughs> yeah, continued for uh, episodes. <laughs> thank you. And I've I have my I have my 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 short list of hacker movies that I'm working through. So, <laughs> well, uh, uh, perfect. I'll I, rejoin. I uh, yeah. uh, I'm waiting on that Black Hat director's cut to get an official release. Then I want to do I want to really <laughs> jump into that one like pretty quickly afterwards. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, Marty, I'd still like to interview you at some point. Um, oh yeah, let's I do it. That. I totally yeah, do I it. Yeah. Uh, oh uh, man, I, that's I, cool. I, I messaged you months months ago, and then ever since then I've been like, "Am I just gonna be bothering Marty if I like?" Oh, dude, no, <laughs> no. Oh man, no. Yeah, if that was in my court, I'm so sorry. No, but... it's all good. It's all good. I'm. Uh, I think it'll be fun though. I'm hyped. saying it live dude, on no, the air, make it happen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, then you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And probably Blue Sky. I need to figure out how to do like the cross-posting thing because um, Twitter is weird. But um, we are at Heroes, the number three podcast on all three of them. If you have a question, if you, if you watched this movie before the past five years, I would love to hear about it and how you had access to it and everything like that. But uh, email us at Heroes, the number three podcast at gmail.com. So next week for uh, for Heroes Three, we are going back to our, our bread and butter, the the classics, literally a, a kind of sequel arc to our very first arc, and we are going to be looking back at Yun Wu Ping once again. Um, obviously, we've brushed up against him many many times on this yeah. show, but yeah. it's cool we haven't we haven't tackled just straight up Hong Kong action stuff in a minute, so it's going to be great. I'm like, and Marty, you said you have a you have a you have a list going in mind. Yeah, yeah, I'm super excited of taking us through, um, yeah, kind of like the directorial lens of this freaking master. So, yeah, mm-hmm. super excited. And watching Matrix Reloaded. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> it's actually, actually it's, just it, the Matrix Reloaded. It's four it's, episodes. It's just, yeah, it's just Matrix 
DVD special features. That's, <laughs> that's a lot that's of those. all this arc is going to be. They're probably better than some of the movie. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, until next week, where we're going to take a look at some new Ping stuff. Uh, I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. I'm Alex. And we are the Heroes 3 plus Alex. Remember your training. <laughs>